The following is a continuation of the previous episode. Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from scripture will inspire and encourage you. In this episode, we continue to study the epistles to the Thessalonians with particular attention on how they relate to the afterlife and the rapture. We discuss Paul's source of knowledge and inspiration. These prophetic lessons and imagery are tools. They are meant to encourage us all to live lives full of urgency, taking every day as an opportunity to live by faith. You know, circumstances are fairly neutral. Uh, You know, Paul says, if you're a slave and you want to be free, and you get the chance, go for it. But it really doesn't matter that much. What matters is your sanctification. Particularly that you should abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother. Be honest. In this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned and you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who's also given us his Holy Spirit. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who've fallen asleep. Now, what does that mean, fallen asleep? Died, yeah. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, we who alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who remain uh, are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall also always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. So here you've got this whole situation here with the Thessalonians. They're in intense persecution. In fact... Uh, Dr. Anderson tells me the Nero persecutions are going on during this time frame. Anybody remember what Nero did? What are some of the things Nero did? He impaled them and set them on fire, used them as torches. They dipped them in tar and set them on torches to light the way so they could have parties. So that's, instead of using the whatever candles or a torch or something, I mean, it was really horrific. Um, so you've got this really bad persecution going on. They're standing strong and they're looking to Jesus coming. But they've gotten concerned about something. And what is it? The people that died are going to miss Him. What happens to them? They're not going to see Jesus. When are they expecting Jesus to return? Any day. In fact, we're going to see in a minute 
that Paul says, you know those people that aren't working, that are just sitting around doing nothing? You don't feed those people. If you don't work, you don't eat. Well, what were they doing? They're just waiting. I mean, what? why work? Right? I've got a refrigerator full. Jesus is going to be back any time. This is how, this is how imminent the, the return of Jesus was to them. And, but their concern is, well, what about the dead in Christ? So they're really concerned about this. And Paul says, hey, don't worry. Jesus is going to come with a shout and, and the dead in Christ rise first. But did you notice who else is in this picture? Who, who else in this picture when Jesus returns? The archangel and all his saints. It's interesting, isn't it? You know, this to me is fairly conclusive. Now, um, he then goes on. If you were so, the first question they had is, "Well, what happens to people that die before Jesus comes back?" And they're expecting it any day. And then he's, the next question is, "Well, when is it going to be?" We're tired. I mean, well, this is persecution stinks. We're, we're glad. We're uh, glad to endure it, but we'd like for it to be over. And if Jesus comes back, it'll be over. We want him to come back. And he says then in chapter 5, But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need I should write to you. You know perfectly that day of the Lord. So comes as a thief in the night. When does a thief in the night come? Unexpectedly, right? Does a thief write you a note and say, Hey, I'm coming to rob you tonight. Just wanted to let you know. Don't want you to... They come at a time you're not expecting. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. Okay, so now let's let's flip over to Second Thessalonians. Same group of people. Let's go ahead and skip over to chapter two. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, so something else has happened. Now they've got another question. And the gathering together with him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit of word or letter as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. So what are they worried about now? They missed it. Now what would make them think they miss it? What what do they think they might be in the middle of? The tribulation. I mean, it's going on all around them. And apparently someone had told them, hey, you missed it, you're in the tribulation. Verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So Nero's bad, but he's not the guy because he hadn't done this. Do you not remember I was telling you this stuff? So, to me, this seems fairly conclusive that you've got this group of believers that are expecting Jesus to come back any day. How could that be true if there's not an imminent rapture? And then they say, ah, we missed it. We're in the tribulation. How could that be true if there's no real tribulation? (laughs) And Paul said, no, no, no. The tribulation doesn't happen until you see these things in Daniel take place and he's got to sit on the throne in the temple in Jerusalem. So how how did Paul know all this? What what, what, What would you say? 
How does Paul know all this? You can't find this really in the Old Testament. Um, you, you get some sense of rapture in the Old Testament from Elijah and Enoch. They're pictures of the rapture. But even resurrection. Anybody, anybody know an Old Testament verse that tells about the resurrection? Very good. Isaiah 26, 19. Daniel 12, 2. There's one more. Job, I know my Redeemer liveth, and I, at the last day I'll show if you know Handel's Messiah. I know that my Redeemer... Really, everything we see in Revelation, more or less, is told to us in Daniel. But really, to my knowledge, there's only three uh, verses in the Old Testament that explicitly talk about the resurrection. So, where did Paul get all this stuff? He had about 13 years of training. Look at 2 Corinthians 12 for a minute. So, it says, uh, chapter 2 Corinthians chapter 12, It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations in the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not go, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven, which is the idea of the very presence of God. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise. Here we are in Abraham's bosom now, or wherever it is now. And heard inexpressible words of which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast. So, I think, I think uh, and then it goes on, I, verse 7, And lest I should be exalted above measure, a measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. So, the idea here is that Paul heard things, some of which he's not allowed to tell. Well, what does that tell us? We're not supposed to know it all. Yeah, he tr- and he trusted Paul, didn't he? So I'm going to tell you this, but I don't want you to tell anything. It's really humorous. There's a place in Revelation where it says, the thunders spoke. And then the angel says, don't write that down. And there's all these books about, what did the thunders say? <laughs> we don't know. That's the point. And there's, part, there's stuff that he's not telling us. So I, I, I think that I think that Paul knew. He 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 had first hand knowledge of all this stuff and he's fitting it in with scripture. How can you have the thief in the night can come any minute and at the same time have the day of the Lord won't come until you see this? How can both those things be true? Well, there's the rapture. That 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 that's where I think the compelling evidence for the rapture is. And it's very interesting that this is such a hated doctrine by so many people. Now I'm gonna tell you why I think it's a hated doctrine. I think that, um, you know, Satan, Satan can speak, sp- spoke through Peter, remember? Get behind me, Satan. So, and if you look in 2 Timothy, he says to Timothy, uh, hey, you need to be able to sit with someone and help them gently to be able to repent so they can escape the wiles of the devil. So just because we're in Christ and have the Holy Spirit in us doesn't mean that we can't be uh, deceived into following the world and the satanic system. Well, that, that's what we're struggling against in large part. So um, I think what's going on is this historic um, game plan that Satan has had to displace the Jewish people, to displace Israel. You know, all, all, all the culmination of everything that happens happens through Israel. And 
unfortunately, for most of church history, uh, at least the last 1,500 years, the dominant thinking has been that the church has replaced Israel. So God's promises are irrevocable, except in the case, but he can replace them. He can substitute. So I'm, I promised to Keith I'm going to do something, but I'm going to do it for Eric. And I, I, I kept my promise. I just shifted who it was for. I'm okay. Which I don't think really works at all. But that's really, that's really where the, the whole sequence is. And the, the, the idea that Jesus is going to come back, have an earthly kingdom, it's going to be in Israel with a temple, and it's going to fulfill all the Jewish promises... Is a, is a very hateful thing to Satan. That's one of his main things that he targets. And I, I just think it's part of trying to displace them. And the truth is, uh, as we've seen in Romans, the Jewish root is the very sustenance from which we as Gentiles uh, drink. And we are wild olive shoot grafted in. And what we have is we are sons of Abraham because we, have, we are the children of promise because we've just believed and by believing, we have all these promises that have been given to us that are just there for us to possess and inherit. So I, I think that's what's going on. Okay, so rapture. Uh, there's two more raptures, I think. Let me show them to you. Look at Matthew 13. Now, I'm, the first one I would, I would pound on the table for. This one, I would say, this is my best read, but if you don't like it, I would say... Just then, it's just don't worry about it. It's this is uh, highly interpretive. Matthew thirteen, uh, verse thirty-six. Let me let me go uh, let me go ahead and read twenty-four and read the parable, and then we'll read the answer to the parable. So another parable he put forth to them, saying, "The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good feet in his." seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Now, does anybody know what a tear is? It looks exactly like wheat with one difference. No wheat kernel. Yeah, it doesn't have anything that's useful. No fruit. So, um, then when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came in and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy's done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, no, lest you gather up the tares and also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So then in verse 36, then Jesus sent the multitude away. So he's telling that to everybody. And the multitude goes away and went, and went into the house. And his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. Who's that? Jesus. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. Who's the wicked one? Yeah, Satan. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. 
Now, this could just mean that there's going to be a judgment of the of the wicked. Uh, and as we look at the resurrection, there's actually more than one resurrection. There's a resurrection unto life and there's a resurrection unto death. And it could just mean that he's going and getting um, all unbelievers and uh, you know putting them in the lake of fire. That could mean that. But the specific instance here makes me think that he's talking about the nation itself. And my guess is what this is talking about is that at some point along the way, the, uh, there's going to be a group of evil people that are actually going to be raptured right into the lake of fire or right into the judgment of God somehow. Which, I, I don't know exactly how that would fit in, but it's kind of fascinating. The third rapture that I'll go through, uh, I think is readily apparent, and it is in Revelation 11. Revelation 11, the two witnesses. Verse 3, I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Verse 5, if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours the enemies. If anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. Verse 6, these have power to shut heaven so no rain falls on the day of their prophecy. They have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. Verse 7, when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. So they're going to be in Jerusalem. Then those from the people's tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and will not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them. Make merry, send gifts to one another, because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Now, after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud and the enemies saw them. It's a pretty awesome sight, isn't it? So, there's at least two raptures coming. This third one, I think, is more speculative. I think... I spend some time thinking about what's Satan up to. And I think that there's a constant stream of movies about alien abduction that's always going on. And I think the reason is because he's setting up a counter-narrative for the rapture. And when the rapture comes, he's going to have this whole story about alien abduction. And I won't be surprised that you then start having physical manifestations of demonic presences and UFO you know 23% or something like that of Americans believe in UFOs uh, there, there is there is a pretty widespread uh, conversation about things in space and all we've got a whole space program oriented towards finding life on other planets well I, I suspect that there's going to be uh, a narrative about that and we're, we're and that's going to be part of what's going on so I think we can take great hope from this, uh, but also a sense of urgency. You know, Jesus is coming. He could come any time. And when He does come, uh, our opportunity is done. We never get the opportunity again to live by faith. This is it. Only this time. Our time on earth is a tiny speck compared to all of eternity. And faith is not going to be up there. You You can't believe in what you see. 
And this one tiny instance we have to know God by faith, it'll be over. And what's done is done. So I think we should live every day as if it's last, our last day, every moment as if it's our last moment. And when affliction comes, we have an even greater opportunity to grow, serve, and, 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 know, and know God, just like the Thessalonians did. All right, thanks God for this wonderful word that you've given us, uh, for the hope that you uh, are not going to leave this world in a twisted state, but you're going to come back, rescue us, rescue this world. And even as we step through death, that it's not, it's more a step into life because we've believed you and your son Jesus has paid it all. Thank you, Lord, for that promise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening.